Netflix's inaugural engagement report details what subscribers are watching in unprecedented detail. It also reveals surprising insights into the company's business. Listen in to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from End Screen Media is with me as always. Hi there, Colin. How are things on your end this week? They're great and I'm already plotting my top 10 stories of the year, Will. Are you looking into yours? Yes, I've also been starting to put together my list of the top 10 and uh, that is for next week's podcast, which will be remarkably our last of 2023. Hard as that is to believe, right, Colin? I can't believe it myself. I can't believe it's uh, flown by so quickly. But anyway, this week we have a couple of news stories, and then we're going to be talking a little bit about some things uh, that have happened to Netflix over the last week. And I think I'm going to get us started And uh, I I noted that uh, Apple announced that they have redesigned the Apple TV app interface. And in fact, I have to read the way they put it. They said, redesigned Apple TV app elevates the viewing experience. Um, So I I have my Apple TV, so I loaded up the new version. And they have indeed uh, brought the focus to the uh, to the content much more so. It's now much easier to find content, uh, I think, on the Apple TV box. But, Will, the reason I bring this up is that we were told that Apple would reinvent the television experience. And I've got to tell you, this experience looks very like the, the experience you get on a Vizio TV that you get on a Google TV, powered TV. It really does look pretty much like the others. So I guess this is telling me that Apple has given up on redefining the television experience. Well, that or they've realized that there are best practices in how to design a TV UI and that through their testing and, and whatever, they've realized that, that this new way is the way to go and it just happens to look like uh, Vizio and others. Well, well, this is undoubtedly true, true, Will. One thing I do quite like that it does that the others don't is the menu on the left pops down when you, when you scroll over to it and otherwise it disappears. And I, I quite like that. The menu is permanent on some of the other interfaces. So that's always there sort of interrupting the view. So that is pretty nice. Uh, and, and it does make it much easier to find stuff. Uh, I've always had trouble actually with Apple TV and figuring out how to find stuff very efficiently. And this makes it a lot easier. So, I suppose uh, thumbs thumbs up for the interface uh, interface changes and maybe people other people who use Apple devices can let us know what they think. So so yeah, uh, that's uh, I guess thumbs up, but uh, not really a reinvention of the interface. Yeah, I will say that I use uh, Apple TV Plus on my iPad and find that the experience is nothing close to the Netflix app or even the Amazon Prime uh, video app or the Max app. 
uh, all of which I think are superior experiences, easier to find my way around. So uh, it feels like Apple TV Plus has some work to do also on the mobile app side. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. Uh, but anyway, what, what caught your eye? Well, um, this week Comcast announced that it will be uh, starting to distribute its Zumo stream boxes. And that was something that they had said back in October when they initially unveiled the the box. So it's been out there. It's been, we've been aware of this for a while, but they just now have uh, said that Comcast Xfinity broadband users are now able to get a uh, Zumo stream box box for no charge. And uh, since I am a Xfinity broadband subscriber, I'll be looking forward to getting my Zumo stream box. I have had a flex box for some time now. And I've actually always thought the Flexbox was pretty good. So uh, I'm curious to see how the um, the new Zumo Streambox compares. Um, I guess there are some advantages that they've uh, uh, that they've pointed out. It runs Comcast's new entertainment OS platform, and that was part of uh, the development with um, Sky and their Glass. Uh, initiative, which you and I have talked about in the past. So apparently, the the new Zumo Streambox is faster than the uh, than the um, prior Flexbox. The content recommendations are better. Uh, it's also better at presenting fast channels. So I'm curious to see how it works. I think I just go into a retail store and swap out my Flex for the uh, Zumo Zumo Streambox and get it up and running and. Comcast, it sounds like, is going to be starting to invest heavily in just you know not only distributing the Zumo Streambox but backing up the Zumo uh, brand name both for the Streamboxes and also for its content uh, offerings. So I think we're going to probably see more of that in 24 from Comcast, and I'm eager to give it a try. Any take from your standpoint? I know you're not a you're not an Xfinity broadband subscriber, so you're not going to be able to get this. Is that right, Carl? Uh, That's right. And of course, Zumo, one of the things it's doing is it's licensing its operating system to TV manufacturers and I guess to set-top box manufacturers as well. So it could be that we see other devices appear that are using it. Uh, So be interested in your experience. And funnily enough, you know, they're really... This is a tough market, right? This is for an electronics manufacturer providing a streaming set-top box. Is, well, there's not a lot of profit in it. Uh, Roku is selling theirs at cost, and so is Amazon. So there's really not a lot of profit to be made here. But we still see people entering. I note that there's a fairly strong rumor that Somos, Sonos will be releasing a stream box and uh, that there will be a cut they're talking with netflix on a custom app to run on that box as well so that should appear well maybe we should wait and see if there's an announcement at ces but i would imagine that that was not playing at the lower end of the market this is not going to be a 30 dollar dongle this is going to be something i think that works with the sonos ecosystem so it's probably going to be more akin to an apple tv box than it is to a fire tv box uh, but still it's interesting that folks are st- still think that there's opportunity for them to do something in the streaming media player box which is pretty amazing too 
Yeah, and you're right. I I probably should have mentioned at the beginning that Zumo is a JV with charter communication, and they are out trying to sign up additional uh, cable operators to um, also distribute the uh, Zumo stream box to their broadband subscribers. So it's not just a Comcast thing, it's a charter thing also, and probably some other operators as well as the year progresses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think maybe it's time for us to plunge on with our main piece for for this podcast, when we're, we're talking about Netflix. And we're going to start with this this spreadsheet that Netflix released this week, which really details the performance of all its titles. It basically gave us a listing of how many hours were spent viewing 18,000 titles in its catalog. And the qualification was it had to have attracted more than 100,000 hours of viewing, which sounds like a lot, but not in comparison with the ones that won or were at the top of the of the pile. The most watched show was The Night Agent Season 1, which attracted 812 million hours of viewing, followed by Ginny and George Season 2, 665 million, The Glory Season 1, 662, and Wednesday, 507 million or 508 million uh, so this was this I thought was pretty interesting and it gave me an opportunity to find out some pretty interesting things uh, other things about Netflix and its performance but before we do that I have to ask uh, did you look at the list Will where where's the first show that you watched <laughs> on Netflix where does that show up on the list that was the first question I had when I saw the spreadsheet is how far down the list am I going to have to go until I find the first uh, um, title that I watched? And uh, I had to get all the way down to number 25, The Diplomat, season one. Uh, and I actually only watched half of that before I started um, uh, not liking it so much. So that would be my first one. And But I will say that the Night Agent has been one that's been popping up on my recommended list for a while now. And I did start watching that. I've watched the first couple of episodes. And actually, I think it's quite good. So I'll probably stick with that. How about you? Where were you on the list? Well, for me, it was pretty easy, right? Number four was Wednesday. Loved that. That was a lot of fun to watch that show. We've been watching Extraordinary Attorney Woo from South Korea. Boy, there are a lot of Korean titles in this in this top uh, top 100. Will uh, so that was at 65. So yeah, th- those are the two that sort of popped up for me in the top 100. I think I haven't been spending a lot of time with with Netflix over the last you know few few months. Uh, but I guess it seems like a lot of other people have, if we believe this viewing. The the interesting thing here, Will, is that this, this accounts for about a billion hours of viewing. Yes, one billion hours of entertainment in the first half of 2023. So the first, the most obvious thing to do is to figure out, okay, how much is each subscriber watching? So during that period, there was a sort of an average of about 234 million total Netflix subscribers uh, for the first half of the year. So when you you know do all the sums, what you end up with is two hours and 12 minutes a day of viewing. That's 
That's a heck of a lot for one channel, right? Impressive, absolutely. Isn't it just? And uh, I, I imagine that actually we in the US are probably watching a little bit more and other countries are probably watching a little less. But that just uh, really reinforces for a lot of people, Netflix is the first place they go when they turn on the television. They go see what's going on there before they go pretty much everywhere else. And I think that aligns pretty well with the uh, hub data that I've seen uh, that still puts Netflix as the sort of default TV service for most people. So that's that's pretty interesting. I asked myself some other questions here. One of them was, we will we walk around with this rule of thumb in our head will that ninety percent of the viewing accrues to ten percent of the titles. So this data gave me a great opportunity to sort of test that out with Netflix and it turns out it doesn't work. <laughs> so I looked at the top ten percent, which was eighteen hundred titles, right? Because there's eighteen thousand titles in this list. And that only accounted for 71% of the hours viewing. You had to go to for the top 4,300 to approach the 90% level. Actually, that was 4,300 gave me 89%. So I thought that was pretty interesting that, that, that Netflix doesn't seem to obey that 90-10 rule. And that, that says two things to me, Well, The first thing is that Netflix is, seems to be doing a pretty good job at connecting people with other titles in their catalog that they might like. So this says to me, at least, that their recommendations, that Netflix recommendations do work. And the other thing that it says to me is that Netflix is making shows that people people want to watch they may not be hugely popular but they're shows that a lot of people want to watch on a daily basis and so they trust netflix to entertain them and they come in every day and find something to watch and and incidentally this is something uh, that sam, uh, sam comments on my website quite a lot and this is one thing that he has said several times in his postings on my postings uh, that he thinks that Netflix just does a better job at making shows that regular people want to watch. They're not, they may not be great award-winning shows, but people watch them. So that, that, that sort of, that's what that tells me. So uh, yeah, you, not, not the 90-10 rule for Netflix. It doesn't work. Yeah, and I would add to that, Colin, that um, I think it also underscores the uh, strength uh, of the Netflix recommendation uh, engine, their algorithm for identifying shows based on your watch uh, history that you're likely to watch, you know, regardless of quality, as you said, they're just able to recommend uh, additional shows that will line up with what your prior preferences demonstrate. And I know that's worked very well for me. I've, I've, uh, I've seen, um, you know, I've, I've had success with that myself. And I think that's what (laughs) helps alleviate that 90, 10 split that you're, uh, that you were referencing earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Netflix isn't standing still on, on the content types it's, it's presenting, right? There was news this week. There was news this week that they're going to be doing live sports. 
Yeah, you're you're referring to the um, exhibition match between Nadal and Alcaraz uh, that I think is going to happen in March. And you know, Netflix has done a lot of other sports types of specials, not premier rights. They haven't sort of dove into that market yet, but but I think they've clearly realized that they can do sports programming that is um, valuable. The series with NFL comes to mind. Uh, the um, show about uh, full swing about the golfers. They did uh, at the F1 series. So they're clearly sort of nibbling around at different sports type of special sports programming and um, and feel confident clearly that it's working for them. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what Ted Sarandos said in the last call earnings call. Will he said that they were really focused on doing sports adjacent stuff, not not sports itself. But I really, you know, the fact that they're doing this, um, they did that golf tournament with yep. the NBA players. The fact that they're doing doing this, they are doing live sports. What they're not doing is they're not licensing premium sports. They're not willing. They're not willing right now to enter the the fray of bidding on premium sports. So for them to say they don't do sports, I think is wrong. They do do sports. They just don't do premium sports. They're doing, you know, one-offs like this Nadal Alcaraz thing and 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 the um, and the golf tournament. So I, I would actually expect to see them do more of this and. You know, thinking five years out, if Netflix is one of the last men standing, if that's that's an, an outcome that happens over the next five years, I can absolutely believe that they will be carrying premium sports if they can get them at a good deal. Uh, so, so yeah, I think sports is something that they're totally into right now. Well, there's going to be a giant opportunity coming up next year if they want to do that, Colin, because the NBA... Uh, media rights deal is going to be up for renewal. And um, apparently both ESPN and TNT have signaled that they're going to bid, but maybe not as aggressively or um, that there may be some rights that uh, are going to become available outside of those two networks. And, um, you know, reportedly Apple, Amazon, Google have all expressed interest in there. It would clearly be an opportunity for Netflix if it wanted to, if it wanted to step up, as you say, uh, and license premium sports. Yeah, but uh, well, I don't. As I say, I I don't expect that they will. Uh, they've they've certainly seen they certainly seem to be pretty keen on the idea of capping growth in spending on content. I think they said that they're going to hold Spence, who's the CFO, said that they were going to hold spending at about seventeen billion a year. And that they were just going to make incremental increases for, I guess, inflationary increases in that level. They felt that that was a correct and sustainable level of spending for content. If they're going to start getting into sports, they're going to have to spend a lot more. I know one of the things that Disney always says is, the, you know, they, they said that they spent 30 billion on content last year I think and they, they were going to do something a little bit less this year but they always say that includes sports rights and you can bet that a good proportion of that 30 is going on sports rights for ESPN and um, ESPN plus so yeah I don't unless they're willing to spend a lot more money and it doesn't look like they are I would 
be surprised if they got into if they got into the bidding on that. But hey, you never know; they might surprise us. Never say never, Colin. That's right. And there was one other thing about uh, Netflix content catalog, which is maybe adjacent to to our conversation about how it may not be great, but uh, people watch it. And that was some analysis from Ampere Analysis, right, about the new Disney-Hulu combination. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, combination, the strategic advantage of uh, Disney Plus being able to fold in Hulu. And Ampere had some new data this week that seemed like it helps underscore the value that Disney sees. Ampere was noting that, among other findings, that... uh, in terms of popular content, uh, Disney Plus currently has um, 17 of the top 100 performing SVOD titles in the U.S. That's in the third quarter of 2023. Um, and then if you put Hulu into that, Hulu has 16. So 17 plus 16 is 33. And that would be the largest share of top uh, titles, Ampere said, and um, just by way of comparison, so if Disney Plus and Hulu have 33, Netflix has 29, Max has 18, Paramount Plus has 17, Peacock has 16, Amazon has 11. So Disney Plus and Hulu together would be pretty formidable in terms of having popular content. They would also be the number two service combined in terms of the um, distinct movies and TV seasons, uh, Ampere said that they would have uh, 9,578, and that would be just behind Amazon Prime Video's 10,892, and ahead of Netflix's 8,391. All of that is in the third quarter of 2023 as well. So just more data to support the strategic value of pulling Hulu into the Disney Plus app. I think we talked about that just last week, how that integration has now started. The Hulu tile is now in the Disney Plus UI. And I'm guessing that we're going to be seeing a whole lot more integration uh, between the two services as we get into uh, 2024. Yeah, I think I read this morning that they were now using Hulu to promote content in Disney Plus. So if you have a Hulu subscription and you don't have a Disney Plus, so you don't have the Disney Duo, uh, and you know, you're gonna start seeing ads for Disney Plus. So you know, that that they're obviously gonna use the two to cross promote. And this this certainly makes a lot of sense. Our friends at Paramount have been doing a pretty good job, I think, coordinating Pluto TV and Paramount Plus and using the two to reinforce the other. Which, which has been working out very well for them. So it only makes makes sense. I, but I am. I have to say, I'm quite surprised at how quickly they're moving to converge these two. It probably does make sense to do it, but I, I just surprised me how quickly they've been converging. And I have updated my um, my my Hulu, I think, and I have seen that new Disney Plus tile included there. Doesn't do much for me. As I say, I've, I'm contemplating actually getting out of the duo because I really don't watch Disney Plus at all these days. But, uh, maybe maybe it's a convenience for other people and it will help Q3 
cure some of those people that are churning that, that as we talked about last week that people will stick around longer absolutely i think we're pretty much just just about done for this week and and we'll save our ammunition for next week's probably a little bit longer podcast as we go over the top 10 stories sounds good colin um so thanks everyone for listening to this week's uh, edition of inside the stream and we will see you next week for the final edition of 2023 inside the stream is a production of in-screen media and video news all rights reserved